Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sauce Town Stories podcast, and I am your host, Fox, um, as promised, uh, trying to be more consistent with the podcast every week for all of our listeners uh, in the sauce across the U.S. of A. and of course across the globe for our uh, listeners we've had checking in in uh, Sweden, um, Singapore, a few other foreign locations. Um, great to have you back. Um, as always, please add us if you uh, would like. Um, you can even give us a comment on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. We are available everywhere. And uh, today, um, one thing I love about this podcast is we've gotten to enter or I've gotten to interview um, all kinds of people from from the Salem area or with ties to the Salem area. Um, from Super Bowl champions, Olympic skiers, guys I grew up with. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just interesting people that I may have never gotten the chance to talk to um, if it wasn't for this pod. So we have one of those today. Um, but before before we jump in um, with our guest, which you've all been waiting for, of course, we have to do our ad read from our loyal sponsor. That is Ash Creek Farms. They started by growing the best-tasting hazelnuts. Then they found the best chocolate. It isn't any more complicated than that. Pure, natural, simple, and delicious. They love their simplistic and natural way of life at Ash Creek, and they believe their products products should be a direct image of life we so love. Their roasted milk and dark chocolate hazelnuts, the perfect gift for your friends and loved ones during any season. Go to ashcreekoregon.com and order today. And if you leave a comment for us uh, with a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, I might just buy you Ash Creek Farms. And with that, I am joined by our guest, guest, that is Wes Gabrielson. Wes, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for making time for us. Busy guy, and it's, uh, it's great to have you here. Um. So as, as we always start the pod, um, this is the Sauce Town Stories podcast. Did you call the town Sauce Town growing up here? You know, I, I didn't. And uh, when I listened to a few of your episodes, um, it just cracked me up a little bit thinking about it. And uh, I, I think I maybe need a little more backstory on it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I appreciate you giving a, a few episodes a listen. So Sauce Town, um, I don't know how many people actually know this story we haven't really covered it on a pod but there was a rap group i cannot even remember what they were called um back in the day that formed in salem at the hoop for those from salem everybody knows that the hoop was an iconic concert spot growing up but they began referring to salem as sauce town and that's where the that's where the name came from there we go. Reminiscent of, reminds me of the uh, middle school hoop dances when I was a kid. Yes. <laughs> Back the in the day. <laughs> yes, the middle school. Uh, my first concert there at the hoop was, was Andre Nicotina. So an oh, iconic spot for sure. Um, <laughs> so, so with that, Wes, as we, we usually start these, these pods, kind of bring us in um, with a little bit of background on yourself, um, just growing up and saying, to the area and then just kind of a, a high level view of uh, where you are today. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I'm a 
Salem native, born and raised. Uh, actually, it's funny we talk about the hoop. I, I grew up about a three-minute drive away from the hoop. Um, grew up in, uh, in southeast Salem. Uh, went through to uh, Pringle Elementary and Judson Middle School. And then I was a, a Sprague High School student. Uh, actually, both of my parents taught at Sprague. So I pretty much grew up at that building from birth to my graduation. Uh, played all sorts of sports. My parents allowed me to play all these sports and I ended up settling on uh, soccer and tennis in high school. And then uh, once I graduated, I attended Linfield College. Well, back then it was called Linfield College. They've changed it to Linfield University now uh, and uh, decided to play tennis there. Uh, did that for four years. Uh, ended up graduating uh, with a degree in history and secondary education. And then uh, since my uh, college days, I have been both a middle school and a high school social studies teacher, uh, as well as a, a high school and a college level uh, tennis coach. And uh, that's kind of my, my backstory in terms of Salem and, uh, and professionally and where I'm at. So I've got a lot of ties still to Salem. I don't necessarily get back there as often as I should. Uh, but my, my parents still live there and I enjoy visiting them uh, from time to time as well. Thanks for, for sharing that stuff with us, Wes. And, and we, we talked a little bit often. This is, this is not the first podcast you've been on. Is that, that correct? It is not the first podcast uh, in the, in the world of pickleball, which has just exploded in the last year and a half uh, during the COVID era, since it's one of those activities that people can do, safely outside uh during this time uh there have been just uh many kind of podcasts and shows that have been uh created or continuing so i've been on a few pickleball podcasts and uh, actually uh, i've been on a a a podcast about uh the rock and roll hall of fame because one of the classes that i teach at mcminnville high school uh, where i currently live is uh history of rock and roll so that was probably my most recent podcast was talking a bit about my class and then ranting about the the snubs for the hall of fame that i think should be in so that was quite a bit of fun okay i, I want to dive in on the pickleball stuff a little bit later but i want to focus on this the rock and roll hall of fame right now right, right off the bat you you mentioned it who are who are the snubs from the rock and roll hall oh of fame? my gosh when i was on that podcast which is called hall watchers it's kind of funny because I felt like I had a lifetime of, of built up venting about the hall of fame. And, they were, <laughs> and usually like people are like, all right, Wes, just wrap it up. Oh my gosh. It's like 10 <laughs> minutes already. And, and these two uh, people who run the podcast are actually um, a, a couple who live in the Portland area. And uh, they were like, Oh no, we love this. And so they let me kind of go off for about 20 minutes about these artists. Uh, I'll give you a few. I think, please, you know, a, a few of them were kind of uh, a few months afterwards when the, the hall of fame actually announced their, their nominees and their inductees. One of them was Tina Turner as a solo artist. And she actually made it in this year along with Carol King. I think a lot of, a lot of uh, there's a lot of underrepresentation in terms of female artists, but there's a lot of classic rock bands like Boston or the guess who, uh, who aren't in there as well. So I, I could probably, you know, go on and on, but I won't, I won't do that. <laughs> no, those are, those are some good names. I, I, I like how you hopped on that pod with them and, and they were just like, no, please, 
please tell us everything. And you're like, these are, these are my people. I need to tell them everyone who has snubbed from the hall of fame. They, they were like, we love, we love hall of fame venting here. But the reason I like it is that I'm such a music lover. And that's something I also didn't mention as I grew up, you know, playing a few instruments and, uh, and, and just loving music and, being able to teach, create and teach this history rock and roll class that I have has been really fun because we do look at the hall of fame. We do look at the history of music and part of the, the, well, I guess the cool part about talking about the hall of fame and these snubs is being able to go back and listen to some of the great music that was created by these artists that normally I wouldn't go listen to. And so that's the more, the most exciting thing about it for me and the most enjoyable. Right. And, and, and music is in, and popular popular culture in general, but music particularly is, is so intertwined with with history and social studies, which you teach. Are you are you able to kind of mix that with, you know, the, the example I think of from high school, like I had teachers where the, a lot of music centered around like the Vietnam War yep. samples. Is that an element you're able to kind of mix in a little bit? Oh yeah. And, and my kind of my jam when it comes to, you know, my, like when I think back to my, uh, my history studies at Linfield, my thesis was on Vietnam war protest groups and which group was more effective in getting their message across. And a lot of that was tied into music as well. So um, what, what a lot of students tell me at the end of my classes, they learned a lot more about social and political history than they expected to in the class, because so much of the music from that era that you talk about, Matt, but other, but other subsequent decades was crafted by artists who were reflecting upon the times in which they were living in. They were reflecting on their angst uh, of some of the changes they didn't like. And, and they were really leaders of many generations when it came to not just music, but fashion and art and all these other things. So yeah, we do cover quite a bit of social history in the class. Gotcha. And on the, the, the music note, I, you're obviously a, a big music buff. Do you uh, touch on or do you personally listen to, to other genres as well? Or are you mostly a, a rock and roll guy? Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I love blues music. I love uh, I like jazz. I mean, rock and roll and something we talk about in my class throughout the term is what is rock and roll? Because some people think it's, you know, a band of long haired white guys playing guitar. You know, but 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 you can make an argument that hip hop is rock and roll because of the attitude and it evolved out of blues to rhythm and blues to funk to disco. And I think it was when uh, when N.W.A. got in the Hall of Fame, which some people are probably thinking, why is N.W.A. as a rap group in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, there's a connection back to, like I said, the early blues artists and, and, and people like Little Richard and Parliament Funkadelic. But but Ice Cube, when they got in, when NWA got in, Ice Cube had this great quote about rock and roll not being a style of music, but being an attitude. And so I think I think you can you can put pretty much anything under the umbrella term of rock and roll. Uh, but, you know, people from Miles Davis to Tupac are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I, I, I listen. I listen to it all. Uh, my one exception is I don't listen to a lot of mo- a modern country music. That, that's my one kind of no no go when it comes to music. Gotcha. I'm 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 still I, I will attend a country festival sure. some summers more so for the 
the the fun that comes along with that then there there are some country artists i i will listen to but i i am with you a lot of modern country is, um i'm not gonna say anything too derogatory <laughs> on this call. It, it's it's not my, my my cup of tea so so i'm with you that uh speaking of how uh is the guy that, that's his, is in how rough has it been not being able to do any live music stuff last year and a half yeah that's been really tough because one of my one thing that surprises uh, a lot of people about me is how much of a music buff i am is the fact that i don't really go to a lot of concerts anyways and i've tried to make it a real mission the last couple of years to go to a lot of different concerts and uh whether that's portland jazz week you know going to a couple clubs or you know I saw the uh, the B-52s in Bend with a few friends uh, a couple summers ago. So I, I, I try to make it to a lot of concerts, and I actually kind of went crazy before the pandemic hit, and I bought all these tickets, Matt, to all these concerts that were going to happen that were kind of bucket list items, and they all got canceled. <laughs> so they've all they've all been pushed to 2021, and some of them have now been pushed to 2022. But I look forward to going to see – you know, I had tickets for James Taylor and Fish and the Doobie Brothers and all these great bands, but I am—I've been missing it for sure. Oh, are, are those all over the country? Are the are, are all those uh, bands slash artists in the the Portland area? You know, uh, there's a few at Sunlight Amphitheater over the the Wa- Oregon Washington border. There was one at Matthew Knight in um, Eugene, and then a few of them were at the going to be at the Moda Center. So they're all they're all in Oregon. Yeah. Nice. Gotcha. Well, switching gears a little bit, you're, you're a interesting guy, obviously. That's why we brought you on uh, big into music, but I, I want to talk about pickleball a little bit. That's actually how this um, podcast kind of came about um, for our listeners. My mom, Nancy, uh, big time tennis player, her entire life kind of um, in the last couple of years has, has switched gears to pickleball and, she she told me uh, I, this guy West play with. Um, you should totally interview him. So you're kind of similar path in that you played college tennis and um, to to pickleball, and you're you come off as a pretty humble guy who's not going to brag a ton about yourself. But you're basically um, you're basically a world class pickleball player. So take us through a little bit. Um, what prompted that transition from the tennis world? And then tell us a little, I played a little pickleball myself. Some videos uh, I found on YouTube of you playing. Uh, it looks like a, it looks like a totally different sport from the way that I play it. Um, take us through a little bit, your transition from the tennis world. And then um, what makes a, a world-class pickleball player and how you got there? Gotcha. Well, the um, the the kind of transition to pickleball, it's 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 funny because people ask me, you know, at tournaments and such, how long have you been playing pickleball? And from a competitive standpoint, I think my first tournament was 2011, but I got introduced to pickleball when I was in middle school at Judson. We actually played some pickleball, and then uh, when I went to Sprague, 
we had pickleball in, you know, freshman PE. And then uh, one of one of my favorite teachers I ever had was a guy named Brian Champion, who was the, the coach. Shout out to Brian and great Sprague baseball coach. Yes. Great guy. And it's kind of funny. It comes full circle because you interviewed Joey Wong. I don't know which episode that was, but Joey and I grew up. Um, I was a few older years older than him, but he and I grew up together at Pringle and Judson and Sprague. And Joey actually was a really good tennis player, too. But obviously his calling was baseball. Um, both from a family and a talent standpoint. Uh, but Joey and I used to have battles in Brian Champion's PE class <laughs> in high school all the time. And I think on more than one occasion, um, Champ had, you know, we, we had like a singles tournament and we were playing for, you know, it was like a Seahawks hat or something. And I'm not even a Seahawks fan. I'm like a huge Packer fan. My, my mom's from the, the Green Bay area. But I sure as heck didn't want to lose to Joey because <laughs> I knew he wanted that Seahawks hat or whatever we were playing for. So we used to we used to meet up in kind of the finals of of some of Champ's tournaments, and then we would just go back and forth. And Champ would be like, "All right, guys, I'm gonna go eat lunch. You guys just finish and let me know how it goes." And the whole class would take off, and we would just play. But 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 Champ Champ allowed us to play badminton and pickleball and all these sports, and I always loved it. And I always felt like you know if if it ever came up where I got to play tournaments, I would just love this. You know, I just loved the sport because it had all the elements of tennis that I liked the, the quick reflexes, not having to cover the whole big tennis court, um, all those things. And, uh, and so I kind of had a a template set for me where um, we played with, with paddles that no one uses now. I mean, we play with the wooden paddles and, and there's all these great paddle companies that make all these different types of paddles now that are, so much better, but that was all we knew, right? That was all we knew. And uh, then when I went to Linfield, again, we'd have rainy days. We wouldn't have tennis practice. We'd go in the gym and we would audit the pickleball class. So I had been able to play it throughout school. Um, and then I, I guess when I finished college, I took a couple years off. And one of my tennis partners, a, a woman from Vancouver, that's a, a national level pickleball player, she said one day, Hey, do you want to come try pickleball? Have you ever played? And I said, I love it. I haven't played in years. So when I showed up, they gave me a state of the art paddle. We were using a different ball and it was, I was getting just my butt kicked. And from that moment on, I was hooked. I was like, I want to get better at this. And, and and I just dove in. So I'm really lucky that I had uh, a journey through my schooling career to at least get me hooked at a young age where I feel like a lot of my contemporaries get introduced to it once they stop college tennis, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Things to unpack there, but first and and foremost, I got to ask is I know Joey Wong and he's, he's one of those guys that obviously uh, made it far in baseball, but was, he's just a guy that's kind of good at everything he tries. So, so who, so who won those battles between you and Joey? And, And if it, you know, don't be, if it was you, don't be modest. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think I want him, but he, we may have to come on a later episode and, and un, unpack the truth. But I think I have, I won a few of the Seahawk hats. He probably won one or two, but I think I got him. All right. Well, we, we will give Joey a, a chance to, <laughs> to respond to that at some point, certainly. Um, <laughs> so just, just uh, reading up on y'all online and, and, and stuff like that, it looks like, 
Um, the sport has taken you some pretty cool places. I, uh, in I read an article, you were in the, um, the Margaritaville open, which is a big tournament, uh, as far as pickleball goes in the States, I picture a Margaritaville, like on a beach somewhere, maybe Jimmy Buffett's in the port side <laughs> or something like that. Um, <laughs> but it, where, where has this, it seems like you, you've gotten to travel some, right? Like what, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Kind of cool experiences have you gotten from, from tr uh, going into this world of pickle? Well, you know, what's, what's really funny is uh, the, the sport, the sport has really blossomed in the last couple of years where people are doing it full time. And there's a, there's a small portion of us that are still playing at that top kind of 15 top 20 level on the tour that are playing we have another full-time job. You know, there's a lot of people that have transitioned to it. So the sports changed there, but, but I've really been lucky first and foremost, before I talk about travel to have really supportive like principals and administrators who understand, yeah, Wes has this crazy passion that he loves. And every November he needs to take a week off to go to California or <laughs> Arizona to play nationals. And they've been really supportive. Um, and, and I've really appreciated that. But what's really funny is, you know, you talk about Margaritaville, that's the main sponsor for nationals. The nationals used to be in Arizona and it was at this, you know, R R RV resort essentially where you would drive in and you go, wait, we're going to play a national pickleball tournament here. What, what, you know, what's going on. And, and you see these 32 state of the art courts and it was just this, you know, a lot of those tournaments were at these kind of RV retirement centers. Uh, but then when things transitioned a couple of years ago to Indian Wells, where they have the big um, BNP Paribas tennis tournament pro tournament every year, that's where Margaritaville nationals is. So it's actually Palm Springs and, Ever since we transitioned to that venue, the sport has just taken off from a business sense. And people like yourself and others ask me, what are all, you know, what are some of the cool places that you've gone to and the things you get to see? But I think anyone would tell you when we go to Florida, you know, 99% of our trip, we're at the venue. We don't go to the beach. We don't go to the, you right. don't get to do all kind of those fun things unless you really carve out an extra day or two to do it. Um, but but I guess, you know, just this sport, I've been so blessed to meet so many great people and have so many friends that I can call family that are in Florida or Utah or Canada or Wisconsin or Kansas, you know, New York, all over the place. So it's been really I've been really blessed to to meet some great people along the way. You mentioned sport has has really taken off during COVID because it's something you can go outside and, and do socially mm -hmm. distance and all of that. What one other element that I just in my personal experience, like I mentioned, my mom has played tennis her entire mm -hmm. life. And you mentioned it a little bit that as opposed to tennis, you know, there's not the constant sprinting all over the court to change the wear and tear, which is something that's made um, that's been great for mom and certainly mm -hmm. makes me happy because she gets to continue playing without um wear and tear that comes with that i see obviously that's one uh one bet but do, do you see any any is there anything else that you've seen that you're like a reason this sport has gotten so big so suddenly yeah i i think well three things i think number one like you said for people i mean your mom is in awesome shape and is stays super fit but not everyone 
you know, when they get in their fifties and sixties and beyond get, get to have that same sort of experience with their body, right? There's wear and tear, there's knee replacement, there's all sorts of things. So I think the first reason that it really took off with, with the senior population is that it's easier on the body. Number two, it's easier to learn. You know, not everyone comes from a tennis background like your mom or myself. And I've got a whole group of coworkers right now at McMinnville High School that played college basketball or track or volleyball. And they've all picked it up during COVID and gotten pretty good because they're athletic and it's easy to learn, even if you haven't had a tennis background. Uh, but I think the third and the most um, the most appealing thing for people is the fact that it's really social. Mm-hmm. It's really, really social. I mean, uh, you're closer in proximity uh, to others and and it, the games aren't as long. You don't have to cover as much court. It's social. It's fun. Mm-hmm. You can take someone who's a really someone in their 20s who's really fit with someone in their 70s that maybe can't move as well. And you can still have a good game back and forth. Whereas in tennis, you're not going to see that uh, based on racket technology and space. So I think the social aspect is what's really helped it take off. That makes total sense. And I've certainly seen pickleball courts popping up all over the place where they uh, where they didn't used to be. So mm-hmm. another topic, I promised, I promised myself that I would save this for the end because I knew if I put it at the beginning, I would somehow manage to take up the entire pod <laughs> talking about it and we wouldn't on anything else. Um, you mentioned you're a Packer fan. I'm, if you didn't know, um, I'm a huge Packer fan as well. Um, I'm going to ask this, this question without any comment from my end. Um, or, uh, I think I know where you're going. There will be a there will be a comment. I mean, but I'm I'm gonna let you go first. Your um, unfiltered opinion. I'm sure you watched Rogers on Sports Center last night, and you've probably been following along with uh, kind of this this saga as it unwinds. Where where do you stand on on this whole thing on air? Well, I actually did not watch the interview, but it's on my to do list this evening. Uh, but I'd heard about it. Uh, was this Kenny? Was it Kenny Maine's final show? Was it was the, yes. Okay, and I love Kenny Maine. Growing up, listening to him, watching him, um, you know, it's really funny. On one of our recent bus trips during the high school tennis season, I've got a couple football kids on my team for tennis, and they were asking myself and and some of my other coaches what we thought about this whole topic. Um, I, <laughs> I think. I, if I were to predict, I don't think Rogers is going to go anywhere. I really don't. I, I think it's his way of trying to assert some authority. Um, I think that he, I think that he enjoys the community. I mean, they still have some family that are in Wisconsin that know, you know, how much charity work he does in green Bay that doesn't get talked about and how much he really loves the, his teammates and his coaches in the community um, but I also think that his feathers have been ruffled a bit based on how they approached the draft. Uh, and I think he's, I think he's just trying to assert some authority. Um, I personally would be surprised if he leaves, but you may have a different opinion on that. Um, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at. I haven't had a whole lot of time to think about it, but that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, I, I, so that's your prediction on on what is going to happen. I want to yeah. I want to dig a little bit deeper on it. Are you 
do you get where Rodgers is coming from? Are you, I, I don't want to make it as simple as are you team Rodgers or are you team Mike Pettins or excuse me, uh, Brian, Brian Gutenkunst or, uh, you know, Packers, but where do, do you think Rodgers should be exerting this amount of uh, this level of a power play um, at this structure? I am a little surprised that he's doing it. I'm not trying to be political with my answer here. I, no, I got gotcha. you. I'm a little surprised, but I understand. I understand the angst, and I didn't really at first, but I talked to a couple people who gave me another you know, perspective, and I get it. I think when you look at people who have been franchise quarterbacks in the current era, when teams draft someone else, they have been really communicative with the current starting quarterback and saying, hey, this is we're getting a guy, this is what we're doing, and it, it, I may be off in this, but it's my understanding that they didn't really communicate that with Rodgers before they drafted Love. Is that correct, or do you know? I think that is correct. Yeah, and I and I and I think when you got someone who's, you know, played through injury and is, you know, I'm not like kneeling at Rodgers' feet here, um, but I I understand the angst. Uh, if I'm in his position, I probably would do things a little more privately. That would be my take. And I and I heard an interview with Mike Holmgren. I don't know if you saw this. Holmgren said, if I were the franchise, I would get Rodgers in a room and we'd sit there as long as it took to figure out, is he staying or is he going? And then we move on. And as a franchise, you do what you can to, to solve it within the family and then you move forward. So long story short, I understand his angst, but if I were the Packers, I would have done things differently. I'm I, I think I'm kind of with you. I understand why Rodgers would be upset about the Jordan pick, particularly because he wasn't even it was never mentioned to him. Of course, he went on the interview last night and said this has nothing to do with Jordan Love, which is yeah. complete yes, in my opinion. Um, but the I also one hundred percent support the Packers side that this guy is a player that has signed a, a five year a, a four-year extension with you and you're not required to consult personnel decisions so i don't know i i'm i'm a little bit of in that rogers is enjoying this a, a bit too much and um but i i think i agree with you i, I as, as far as the outcome i think he holds out into training camp he wants the whole spectacle everyone on their hands and knees saying aaron please come back you know he wants yeah a little bit and and i think he i think he returns probably the opener but we we shall see i uh, yeah i i i i wouldn't surprise me if he's back earlier than that i just think i think he i don't think money matters because it's reported that they've offered him a lot right, right. i think he wants weapons around him because he's obviously had a great year last year He's got Adams. Jones is a great running back. They're young. Their defense is getting better. But he has done a lot of work and got, you know, helped lead the offense a long ways to many NFC championship games have come up short other than the, you know, 2011-12 team. Uh, But without a lot of weapons, right? Without a ton of weapons around him. And so 
I think he wants a few more weapons. And I think I wouldn't be surprised. This may sound crazy. If they get on the same page, if he actually behind closed doors takes a pay cut to bring in someone that's more of a weapon. Julio Jones is uh, mm-hmm. is basically demanding a trade. I don't know if we can do it with our with our cap space. But that would be uh, that would be quite the the weapon to add. Yeah, and and and, and you know what? The, I guess the last thing I'll add to this. What's kind of interesting is forever, and I know you're aware of this. When when Ted Thompson was the GM. They always drafted and then developed within, right? They weren't a franchise that went out and got a lot of free agents. Right. It just wasn't their style. And they were still successful with it. But I think that was the big criticism was, wow, they're great at developing, but they don't go out and get these big name free agents, maybe one or two that can help change things. And since they've had the new GM, he's gone out and done that. And you've got, you know, the guys on defense, Smith, and some of these other players that have really made an impact. So it's kind of interesting that they've gone out and done that, but not on the receiving end of things. You know, that's been pretty interesting to watch. Yep, yeah, I'm with you. Well, we could um, certainly do an entire podcast on this or on the Packers. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe we should do a podcast on the Packers <laughs> at some point. Um, but I don't want to take up your your entire night with this, um, Wes. This has been awesome i appreciate you carving out time for us and uh thank you so much for for joining the sauce town stories podcast awesome thanks for having me it was great chat with you and uh, like you said maybe in the future we'll do a packers episode that'd be awesome let's do it man i'm in have a go you too take care bye